Come, let us adore 
sing. Oh, come, let us gathered this morning to adore the Lord our God for he alone is worthy of our worship and our praise and we welcome you to worship this morning we are delighted you have decided to join us and if you are a guest we would love to know a little bit more about you and you can tell us more about you by filling that card out and dropping it in the pew dropping it in an offering plate later as the offering plate is passed. Also, if there are any of you who have preschoolers that are in worship this morning that you would like to go to preschool worship, now would be the time that you could be dismissed to do that. This is the first Sunday of Advent, or the third Sunday of Advent. We actually have had two previous Sundays, and on those Sundays we lit first the candle of hope, And then we lit the candle of peace. And this morning, Bob and Glenda are coming forward and going to light the third candle for us. Uh, Today, uh, we light the candle of joy and remember that the joy that he brings to each of us who believe in him. It reminds us of the joy that Mary felt when the angel Gabriel told her, that a special child would be born to her, a child that would save and deliver his people. The Bible says in Luke 2, verses 10 through 11, The angel said unto them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be to all people. Today a Savior has been born to you.
Once upon a time in a land far away. The stories we tell nowadays often begin this way, but for those living 2,000 years ago in ancient Judea, the stories were usually about what was to come, not what had already happened. For centuries, prophets had been predicting the coming of a Savior, the Messiah, the Anointed One. The prophet Isaiah wrote, a virgin will conceive and bear a son. He will be called Wonderful, 
Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But when would this Savior come? Was the story nothing more than a myth, a fairy tale, or a bedtime story? Then an angel came to earth to tell a young virgin named Mary that she would soon give birth to the Son of God. The excitement must have been overwhelming in heaven. Finally, finally this dream would be reality. This prophecy would be fulfilled. The story of the ages would finally unfold.
On earth, however, the story of the birth of Christ was still somewhat of a mystery. No one had actually worshipped Jehovah in the flesh before, so the idea that a child born in the stable was truly God, well, it might have sounded outrageous. But shepherds out in the fields had an angelic visit of their own. The angels told them the story. After that, they had no doubt that this child they would find lying in a manger in Bethlehem was indeed the holy, infinite God.
There was a man named Joseph, a carpenter from Nazareth, whose part in the story was unclear even to him. Yet an angel visited Joseph to guide him and to reassure him that God had it all figured out.
plot thickened. Since news traveled slowly in those days, God spread the word in another way. He hung a star that could be seen from far away. Astronomers from the Far East saw it and recognized it as a sign that the king of the Jews had been born. They watched and they followed, and when they finally found him, they worshipped him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Kings of earth on a course unknown, bearing gifts from afar, hoping, praying, following yonder star, silhouette of a caravan painted against the sky, wise men searching. For a holy child Once upon a time in a land far away. Yes, that is how many legends are passed along. This story about the virgin birth 
God's son being born in a manger, a stable, shepherds, wise men. This story is not a legend or a parable or a fairy tale or a bedtime story. It is not fiction. It is true. All true. And personally, I can't hear it enough. A promise and a song, a word too grand for any mind to hold, a task a journey, a stable and some straw. These tell the greatest story ever told. Oh, sing glory in the highest. Here's come the great Messiah. Come bow before this awesome mystery.
true stories, everyone likes a happy ending where all characters live happily ever after. But for that to happen in this story, there had to be a subplot, one that isn't as beautiful as the rest. It's the place where we become part of the story. This is where we realize that our lives are far from perfect, that we have no standing with a perfect God. That is, unless someone changes the plot. Though God knew all along that this was part of the design, still his heart was broken when after 30 years since a magnificent scene in Bethlehem, it was time to sacrifice his son. Jesus would suffer a painful, humiliating death, and God laid upon his son all of our sins so we wouldn't have to carry them ourselves. But it's okay. God did it all because of his love for us.
and that's the happily ever after. The sacrificed son did die, but on the third day he rose from the dead. The story is still going on, and because of the resurrection, we know the ending. The theme is hope and peace and eternal salvation. So how can you enter this story? First, you must believe that it's true, and then by faith, accept the invitation to come and lay down everything before the Lord, and then your everlasting life can begin. Then go out and tell everyone you see the greatest story ever told.
guys may be seated. How do you follow that, right? <laughs> we want to welcome everyone to Arden First. We're so glad you're here. I know we've got a lot of family members and guests, and we want you guys to know you're right at home, and we want you to feel welcome in God's house today. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1, if you have your Bibles. Also, there's a listening guide in your bulletin you can take out, and I'll be very brief today. But that that music was so special. I don't know about you guys, but just when you think about the reason of the season, what Christmas is all about, it just really takes your mind to places of worship and intimacy with God. If you will, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer as we prepare for his word. Father, we thank you so much for the special music that Elaine, Steve, and the choir led us in. And we just thank you that Christmas is all about Christ. And it's not just his birth, but it's his perfect life. It's his death, his burial, and his resurrection, his ascension back to the Father. Father, as we look into your word today, help us to rediscover the true meaning of Christmas as we look at the different characters of Christmas. So we ask and pray your blessing will be upon this time, upon your word, and we just commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, out of curiosity, do we have any country music fans in the audience? All right, I kind of figured that. Well, a lot, of, a lot of our country music fans have heard of Travis Tritt. He's a famous singer, and he's played everything from southern rock to bluegrass to country music. And in an interview, he talked about the days of just getting started with his music. He used to play in some pretty seedy places where occasionally there would be fights that break out. And he mentioned on one occasion where there were some good old boys that kind of got in a scuffle. And he just instinctively decided to start playing Silent Night. And all of a sudden, the good old boys dropped their pool, pool sticks and they... They were getting ready to head to the gun racks. I mean, it was going to be a major brawl. And he started singing Silent Night. And he said, everyone stopped and began to sing along with him. So whenever he played in different places where the environments got out of control, it could be the middle of July, he would play a Christmas song, such as Silent Night. And he said even grown men would cry at certain times. Isn't it amazing the power of music, the power of song? We're going to look at one of the most famous songs in the Bible. It's known as Mary's Song, or the Magnificat, if you know Latin. And um, as we read this in Luke chapter 1, I just want to ask you guys a question. You know, when you think about Christmas, you think of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. But as we know, a lot of times it seems like there's not a whole lot of peace on earth. A lot of times it seems there's not a lot of goodwill going on. So the question I want to ask you is, how can I truly possess peace in a world full of conflict? How can I truly possess peace in a world of conflict? We're going to start in verse 46 of Luke chapter 1, the song of Mary. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. And behold, from henceforth on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. 
He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent the rich away empty. And he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And Mary remained with her for about three months and returned to her house. May God bless his word. So in this famous song of Mary called the Magnificat, because in the Latin, the first words are magnify the Lord. How can we apply this song to our lives? What, what can we learn from Mary's song? This is what I call the first Christmas carol. When you sing all the Christmas carols of the Christmas season, recognize this is the very first one. Because as Mary's singing this to God, Jesus is inside of her. So let's look at the background a little bit before we look into the text. While we look at the beauty of this scripture and we look at the, the, the amazing poetry, one thing that we often read over and don't think about is how revolutionary and radical this actually is. Many theologians throughout the years have said in this song of Mary, it's the most revolutionary document in the world because everything the world system stands for and Mary's song, it turns it upside down. In fact, one English theologian said that it it takes the standards of this world and turns them upside down. He goes on to say that there's three revolutions in Mary's song. You have an economic revolution, you have a political revolution, and you have a moral revolution. So today I just want to give you three simple truths from this first Christmas carol. The first one is this. We should give God glory because he alone is worthy. We should give God glory because he alone is worthy. If you look at verses 46 through 49, I love how it starts off, my soul magnifies the Lord. Whenever you magnify the Lord, you don't make God bigger. You make your view of God bigger because God doesn't change in size. He is he fills all of the cosmos. God is immense and large. But when Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord, she's saying, I want to lift God up. I want to give him praise. So whenever you sing a Christmas song or Christmas carol, the ultimate goal is to lift God up, just like our choir did, to magnify him. It's been said that in England there's an ancient map that dates back to the time of King Henry IV. And this nautical map talks about the oceans. And over the Atlantic Ocean it says, here be dragons, here be demons, here be danger. And many superstitious sailors, because of that map, saying, man, there's dragons and demons and danger, they decided not to sail the Atlantic. But there was one English navigator named John Franklin. And he was a mighty man of God. He was a Christian. He looked at that map and he crossed out here be dragons and demons and dangers. And he wrote here be God. And he said, I'm not going to let superstition stop me from exploring. And the Christmas story teaches us that whatever fear you have, you can cross it out and says, here be Jesus. Here's the one who's come to save us. Notice in verse 47, Mary says, I rejoice in God, my savior. Now, some denominations have taught that Mary was immaculate, that she was sinless. But the Bible teaches Mary herself acknowledged her need of a Savior. She was imperfect just like we are. And she knew her need of a Savior. He has saved us. Notice in verse 48, he lists the lowly servants. I love the Christmas story, how God comes to the meek and lowly and to the things despised by this world. And he lifts them up. And Mary said, from henceforth on, 
In other words, from now on, all generations will call me what? Blessed. Not because she was greater than anyone else, but because God showered her with his love and mercy. He, she goes on to say in verses 49 and following, God is mighty and strong. He has done great things for us. He's holy and worthy of praise. The author, Philip Yancey, wrote, Today, as I read the accounts of Jesus' birth, I tremble to think about the fate of the world resting upon two rural teenagers. How many times did Mary review the angel's words as she felt the Son of God kicking the walls of her uterus? How many times did Joseph second-guess his own encounter with the angel? Was it just a dream as he endured the hot shame of living among villagers who could plainly see the changing shape of his fiancée? So this Christmas carol, the first one, we see that we should give God glory because he alone is worthy. Number two, we should give God glory because he's trustworthy. Did you realize that God is worthy of your trust? You can fully depend upon him because he's trustworthy. The term mercy expressed in the Old Testament is another word for God's loyal love. He's a God who keeps his covenant. He's a God who keeps his promises. And also, he's strong towards the weak. How many of us at times have felt weak and vulnerable, felt like we don't match up to the rest of the world? It's interesting that in Scripture, God comes to the weak and he raises them up. In verses 51 through 53, this is what scholars have called the divine reversal. God turns everything the world says is upside down. He flips them. He flips them right side up. For those of you who are... um, really into prophecy, this is what's called the prophetic perfect tense. The prophetic perfect tense. Mary speaks as the past as though it had already happened. Something in the future has already happened in the past. She speaks of it with certainty. And a lot of the things she talks about is still yet to be. But she speaks of it in the past tense. And that's what you call faith. Believing that God is going to come through even before he's brought it to pass. Amen? Warren Wiersbe says Mary mentions three groups in this song. The helpless, the humble, and the hungry. These three groups who are marginalized by society. Jesus came for them. And he came to make things right that have been wronged. In Psalm 107, 8-9, it says, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul. And fills the hungry soul with goodness. Aren't you glad that God is trustworthy? That he rights every wrong. And it may not be right now, but it's in his timing. And finally, the third truth is we should give God glory because he always keeps his promises. Look at verse 54 and 55. It says, as he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to her fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. So we see that God kept his promises with Israel of the coming Messiah. Throughout the whole Bible, you see the concept of the seed. It starts in Genesis 3.15. God was going to send this seed, this promised Messiah. And throughout Old Testament, every descendant of every person from David on let everyone down. It seemed like sins were being multiplied until Jesus came. And Jesus came and he lived the perfect life and he died in our place so that we could be forgiven and made right with God. There's a story that comes from Europe. It's an old European tale. 
It's about a traveler who was traveling and he met the devil on one of his trips. And the devil had been storing seeds which he planned to sow in the hearts of the people. And these seeds had various names. The bat, one bag was called hatred. Another bag of seeds, fear, doubt, despair, unforgiveness, pride, greed, etc. So the devil was talking to this traveler and was saying how easily it was to sow each of these seeds in the hearts of men. And the traveler asked the question, are there any hearts in which these seeds will not sprout? The traveler asked. The devil looked a little sheepish and said, these seeds will not sprout in the heart of a thankful and joyful heart, he confessed. Now think about that. The seeds of hatred, the seeds of despair. As long as we're thankful and joyful, it's hard for Satan to sow those seeds in our heart. So as we summarize this whole Magnificat, when Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord, I just want to summarize it in one sentence. This is the first Christmas carol. Whenever glory comes down, joy goes up. Whenever glory comes down, praise goes up. So today, the three truths we talked about is we should give God glory because he alone is worthy. Can I get an amen? amen? We should give God glory because he's trustworthy. And we should give God glory because he always keeps his promises. So what I want to leave you today as we prepare our heart for the week leading up to Christmas. That God is worthy of all praise. So your homework assignment, it could be in the shower, it could be in the car. You know, you can be a star in your own car, even if you can't sing. Um, anywhere you go, sing a song of praise. Oh, come, let us adore him. Silent night, holy night. Sing a song of praise. Because whenever glory comes down, praise and joy should go up. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you alone are worthy. And God, we had an incredible time of worship singing the songs of Christmas, celebrating your goodness and your grace. Father, as we pray now, I just ask and pray that you would help each of us respond to the worship, to the message as your spirit leads. And right now, as everyone's praying with no one looking around, I want to talk to the, the Christians first. Would there be one here that would say, Timothy, God has been so good to me and I haven't lifted up my praise and joy as I should. Pray for me that I'll be more joyful during this time of the year. Thank you. I see those hands. Father, you see the hands going up. When your glory comes down, our praise and our joy should rise. So, Lord, help us not get lost in the hustle and bustle of Christmas, but help us focus on the true reason. And as believers continue to pray, I want to speak to one that may not have received the greatest gift, as we talked about the greatest story ever told of Jesus. If you would like to give your life to Jesus... That's the greatest thing you could do this Christmas. Of all the gifts you'll receive, there's no gift greater than Jesus Christ. And if you have Jesus, you have eternal life. So right where you're sitting, if you would just pray a prayer of faith, there's no magic in your words. It's just your heart reaching out to God to say, Jesus, I realize that you came for me. And I've yet to surrender my life to you. So Jesus, this Christmas, I want the present of a new birth. I pray, Father, that you would change my life. Jesus, I pray that you would come into my life. I ask and pray that you would forgive me of my sins. I surrender my life to you. I make you my Lord, my Savior, and my friend. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, 
Amen. This time we're going to have our closing song. And we're not going to ask you to stand, but I'm going to be at the front. And Miss Judy's going to be at the front. If you have any prayer needs, we're a church that believes in prayer. It could be not just for you. It could be for a family member. Um, it could be for something going on in your life. Um, as this final song is sung, we want to encourage you to come and pray. And um, pray as the Lord leads you in your, in your seat as well. Just a series of decisions. We make choices. We live and learn. Now I'm standing at a crossroads, and I must choose. Which way to turn? Down the one road is all the world can offer. All its power, its wealth and fame. Down the other, just a man with nail scars in his hands. But there is mercy in his eyes, and there is power in his name. I choose Jesus. I choose Jesus without a solitary doubt. I choose Jesus, not for miracles, but for loving me, not just for Bethlehem, but for Calvary, not for a day, but for eternity. I choose Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have Follow Jesus, no turning.